Welcome to the Fourth Watch Podcast, a curated conversation with some of the most interesting voices in the media. I'm Steve Krakauer. Today, Tommy Laren of Fox Nation and Fox News, talking about mainstream media, social media, and where the media is headed. This is episode 25. From Fox News's place in the media marketplace, and what happens if Trump runs again, to the cultural cachet uh, Tommy has built, to her gigantic social media following, we start with how Tommy got her start in the media industry when she was still in college. So thanks for doing this. I wanted to start with kind of how you got your start. Um, And I was doing some research. I saw, you know, coming right out of college, 22 years old, you're hosting a show on OAN, On Point with Tommy Lahren. Um, And and I'm curious about how that kind of came about. I think for people who maybe want to get into the industry, that seems like a very fast way to get in uh, for you. But I I also want to kind of use that as a way to talk about where I think you've really got your start, which was with, with some of these viral social media moments that, that you did, I think from that show, um, but that really took off on, on social. So, so how did that all come about? Sure. Well, going back to being at UNLV, of course, I'm a broadcast journalism student. Really, I knew that broadcast was my way to get into political commentary and television. But I always knew right from the get-go, entering as a a journalism student, that I didn't want to be a reporter, that I wanted to be a commentator, which is why I studied political science. And that was really where my passion was. I just knew that in order to get there, journalism and broadcast training was necessary. But at UNLV, I've always been very politically active. I've always been very politically outspoken. Uh, I was always the the student in the class that would raise my hand. And I know that that's kind of taboo today, but I was somebody that took on that role in college, somebody that always questioned my professors and was eager to point out things that I felt were maybe misleading to some of my peers. So that has always been a passion of mine. I've always been very invested in the political landscape. And at UNLV, I hosted a roundtable show called The Scramble, which was a political talk show of sorts. And I acted as the host as well as the producer. But that was my opportunity to really get voices that were differing in opinion and be the moderator of sorts and produce that show. And out of the gate, I knew that I wanted to enter the political landscape. I wanted to do something in politics, whether that was going to be starting out as an intern and being a writer. I had that training, but I always look at things a little bigger and I, I wanted to go big. So I looked at the blaze. Uh, That was someplace that I really wanted to be an intern. I wanted to cut my teeth there. I thought I was going to be an intern. And unfortunately, I didn't make the cut. More about that later. I was going to say, you ended up at the blaze also where I was as well. But uh, we'll get to that. Yeah. So I I wanted to be at the blaze because I've always been a fan of Glenn Beck and I've always been a fan of of conservative television. And I figured coming out of the gate at 21 years old probably wasn't going to end up at Fox News right away. So I thought some of the alternatives sounded interesting. And I I like to be in the ground level of things. I like startup companies. I like places that are building because I was someone obviously at 21 years old who was looking to build my career as well. But I, I started calling other news outlets and I stumbled across One American News that had really just gotten its start a couple months prior based in San Diego, California, but it was a national news outlet. They didn't do commercials. They ran more inspirational messages during what would be a normal commercial break. And so I just started to call and knock down doors. 
I think that's an art that's been lost on a lot of young people today. They expect people to come knocking on their door, offering them a great job. But that wasn't the case for me. I just had to make cold calls and something that I was very comfortable doing. And I wound up calling the right person at One America, getting a couple of hangups, but finally sending my stuff over and getting in touch with you know the owner and the founder of One America, Robert Herring. And I came in looking for an internship and we had a great conversation and he ended up at the end of that conversation, offering me the chance to host my own show on the network after I graduated. So this was the point. This was April. I hadn't even graduated yet. So wow. he told me, go back to UNLV, finish your degree, and then the beginning of June, come to San Diego, and we'll start working on the show. So it's very unconventional. I've always been unconventional. But I think it just goes to show that if you're willing to make the calls and you're willing to be persistent and resilient, then you can have some great opportunities that come your way. Yeah. Well, especially in, in this business, right? I mean, I think like, you know, people uh, talk about the grind of, of the journalism industry and, you know, it, it takes that kind of work. It takes that kind of putting yourself out there and trying to get it. Um, but, but it's interesting. So, so you obviously were looking for an internship, but instead you ended up as an on-air host uh, on OAN. And I assume that, 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 that there was a positive experience, right? It was a good experience. You got your, your feet wet, you're, you're kind of thrown out there. Um, but would you say that there was anything kind of negative to to that much exposure right away right out the gate well i had to work for it so essentially my boss who was the creator of the network they had a couple of other commentary shows at the time that i believe are still running but he kind of looked at me and said hey you said you could do this so get a pilot together i'm going to go on vacation in the south of france and when i come back i expect to see something and if i like it then i'll put it on air and if not then i guess i'll send you back down to the writing room and you can do something else so it was a lot of pressure uh, the first pilot was not a huge success, but I finally got a team into place. I kind of just recruited some people that were interested in, in growing and learning right alongside me. Also people in their very early twenties. And we ended up being able to put together a great show that was interesting, but also a fresh, fresh perspective from what other people were doing. And I've always just been one of those people that if you give me a task, I'm going to knock it out of the park and I'm going to learn along the way. But one thing I've always had that I think has been my it factor has been that I have always been very opinionated, but I have always been able to express myself in a way that connects with people because it rings as genuine and authentic. Probably has a lot to do with where I come from, being from South Dakota, being from middle America. Yeah. I've never thought I could talk over people's heads. Coming into the industry at 21, 22 years old when my show first aired, I never wanted to fool people into thinking that I was older than I was or more experienced than I was. I just wanted to speak from a place that would relate to others. And it worked. It did. It, it, it certainly worked. And I, I don't know, I, I would imagine a, a fledgling cable news outlet like OAN was not getting a massive amount of audience on TV, on traditional TV. But uh, what it what it certainly I, I would think did was propel you into a, an immense amount of fame on social media. Um, and I think was it would you say Facebook was probably like where it really got started, like where your clips really started to like resonate in a huge way? So I remember when we used to cut the clips and initially it was really just my last segment of my show, which I titled Final Thoughts, which are still around. Still going, to this yeah, day. yeah, yeah. But I always wanted to do something a little different. So most people opened up their shows with a monologue of sorts. And I thought to myself, I would like to do it at the end of the show because I know that Robert Herring is paying attention to the minute by minute ratings and he wants to see what the numbers are. So I thought, hey, this is the most popular segment, Final Thoughts. 
I know that my commentary is going to be the most popular. So I'm going to put it at the end of the show so that people watch the whole show until they get to final thoughts. And it worked. But we take those clips and I would have my producer at the time cut them for me and edit and put them up on a YouTube channel. And I remember I would be so excited if it got like 500 views. That was a big deal for me. Yeah. But there came a point and, and really a, the turning point of my career was after the, uh, the terrorist attack in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And at that time, I did my final thoughts. I was very passionate and we posted those. Now, someone happened to be watching the actual channel on television and recorded me doing my final thoughts via their phone and put it up on Facebook. Oh, wow. So it wasn't, so it wasn't even, even my oh, Facebook interesting. page. Yeah. It was somebody else's Facebook page, but even it was better. my clip. And it started circulating like crazy. And then a bunch of other people started picking it up and it got on YouTube. I eventually posted it on my own YouTube channel at the time. And that's where it really caught fire. And then all of a sudden, Fox News is calling me. We want you on Fox and Friends. Maybe <laughs> we'll sit down with Greta. I mean, then they all started calling me. And this was bizarre to me because I had never... I mean, One America had not really gotten that much attention. I hadn't gotten that much attention. I'd done a, a speech at CPAC that got a little bit of attention, but this was really the first time that my name was out there and things started to change. Tommy's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram posts get more attention than perhaps anyone else in the media. What is it that makes her social accounts stand out? The followers came rolling in. I mean, I, I looked at it right now. You've got 4.8 million followers on Facebook, 1.9 million on Instagram, 1.6 million on Twitter. I mean, it is a it is a massive following. And and you know, obviously, you've talked about now. I guess six seven years that you've been you know really kind of in the media spotlight. Um, but a lot of the you know a lot of those, particularly on Facebook. I mean, I, I remember back when you joined the Blaze. I think you had. A, a mil, like more than a million followers on on Facebook even at that time. So even before you started getting more of the mainstream, um, you know, attention through the blaze through through Fox and Fox Nation now, um, this this huge organic presence, um, and and I guess you know it, it's one of the things I, I I've been looking around, trying to see what people have said, um, both positively and negatively. I've seen or or heard people describe you as as Tommy. You know, she knows what she's doing. And and both in a positive and a negative way, I've heard that. Mm -hmm. But and I wonder like how much of that is true. Like, do you, do you when you post something, especially early on, those first couple of years, are you able to say like this this is something that can really take off, like this can go viral, or is it sort of like put a bunch of things out there that that you're, you you believe in and then see what happens? For me, the subjects I talk about are inherently controversial or trending. I talk about things that people are talking about. Obviously, I talk about things that inspire emotion in me, whether that's happiness or sadness, or a lot of times it's anger, sometimes even rage. And a lot of the country feels the same way about the topics that I'm speaking on. And for me, that is why I believe that they were able to go viral is because I was saying the things that other people were afraid to say. I would not walk it back. I would not dilute it. I would not sugarcoat it. I would not make it in a way that traditional maybe cable news hosts or radio hosts, I mean, with the exception, of course, of you know, those like Rush Limbaugh and others, obviously, they were very forthright with their opinions. But nobody that looked like me and that was my age was saying the things I was saying with such passion and gusto 
So I think it caught people off guard. I really do. I don't think that you expect to hear what you hear come out of my mouth from someone who looks like me. And I was one of the first ones to really do that in this conservative space, especially. I like to think that I was one of the people that pioneered a lot of young conservatism on social media that not only talked about conservative politics from a very like young Republican type stance, but more so from what you're used to hearing from those on the left, those that are in pop culture and entertainment and sports. I would tackle those difficult and controversial topics. And I had a lot of freedom to be able to say what I wanted to say without a lot of fear of repercussion or a media relations department or anything trying to tame me or calm me down. Yeah, no, it de- it, it definitely comes across as a, as a real authentic kind of fearlessness uh, to it. And and it's it's interesting. I, I remember, I think this was because I, I believe you and I didn't actually cross paths at the blaze. I think I left just as you were coming uh, in 2015. But before, I believe it was before you joined the Blaze or right after you joined the Blaze. I remember I have a cousin who was in college. Uh, she's someone who I I literally never thought, I never talked about politics with her, never really, you know, known her to be a politically inclined person, but she's sharing your clips on Instagram. And it, it, it sort of caught me by surprise. I mean, it, it would never have necessarily thought that, but there was something where I don't even know if it was political, but you were resonating particularly with young women and girls, college students, people that are don't necessarily even consider themselves political. Something about it was really resonating with them at the time. I think that's also because I'm a very real person and people, especially in this age, I understand social media very well. I am 100% myself. You see me, if you follow me on Instagram especially, you see that I live a normal life. I'm a normal person. I let people in to that. So when I talk about politically charged topics, they see that from me. And then 15 minutes later, they might see me with my dog or me with my now fiance or me out with my friends drinking at a bar. I'm a real person. I don't pretend to be anything other than that. I'm, a, I'm real, I'm authentic, and I'm also multidimensional. I think a lot of people in legacy media, they only show that side of themselves, very buttoned up, very much in the studio, and you don't really get to see what they're like off camera. I've let people into that from the get-go, and that's a product of me being in my 20s in this industry and understanding that social media is the best way that I can connect with people. So you get it all from me, and you're going to see every side of me. I think that's what makes me relatable and why I'm still here. And despite all the doubters, I've had much longer than 15 minutes. I, like you said, I think I'm on year seven of this now. That's right. Yeah. And I, is, that a, is it a conscious choice? I, I will say, you know, I follow on Instagram. I mean, you could go a day or two of looking at your Instagram stories going out in Nashville, and then all of a sudden you get a you get something sort of political content. And it, and it is very different than the very carefully curated uh, public life that a lot of these these mainstream legacy media journalists have cultivated for themselves. And, and I, I think it's by design. I mean, they don't want to have that. And you look at someone like, you know, and this is no shot to them, like Anderson Cooper, super private person, doesn't talk about anything having to do with his life. You barely even know him. He kind of reads the news and occasionally has an opinion. With you, it's sort of the opposite. And, and clearly it's had a positive effect on, on your career, but it does seem like a real differentiator. And it gets me in trouble sometimes too, but I, I want to show people who I am because that really is how I live my life. 
I could sit here and watch Bravo and then I could go out with my friends in Nashville and have a great time and put on thigh high boots and have a great time here in Midtown at Winners and Losers. But then I can get up the next day and look something on Twitter and see that, you know, we're about to give community college to illegal immigrants and that fires me up. So I might post something about that, too. And then I might go out later because I really do reflect what I believe is the average American who is concerned about politics, is concerned about the direction of this country, very passionate about those things, but also lives a normal life, has family, has friends, does things for fun. I want people to see that from me because I think that that's also a way for conservatives to break out of this box, this rigid box that we've always been in. It's that that stereotype of old white men. Well, the reason we have the stereotype in the Republican Party of old white men is because that's who you're seeing. You're right. not seeing people outside of that box being normal and average and maybe occasionally throwing a swear word out and maybe occasionally drinking alcohol and out having fun. I think we need to break down those barriers and be more relatable. And then more people might be more willing to listen to our ideas, which are rooted in logic and faith and tradition and conservative values. Coming up, meetings with Charlemagne, appearances on The View. What's the reaction from the left and the right when Tommy crosses over that cultural landscape? But first, I want to talk about my alma mater, Syracuse University. I've, I've written in Fourth Watch before about hypocritical correctives, how when the pendulum swings from a less desirable action to a more desirable action, even if it exposes hypocrisy, it's worth applauding. So we have perhaps the most hot takiest of all hot takes that came last month at the 20th anniversary of 9-11 from a professor named Jen Jackson of Syracuse University. She tweeted, we have to be more honest about what 9-11 was and what it wasn't. It was an attack on the heteropatriarchal capitalistic systems that America relies upon to wrangle other countries into passivity. It was an attack on the systems many white Americans fight to protect. Now, this is both offensive and outrageously ridiculous. It's worth condemning and calling out. But shortly after it was posted, there were attempts to try to get Jackson removed from a position teaching college students at Syracuse. In response, Chancellor Severed declined to give in to the mob. Speech can be offensive, hurtful, or provocative. Still, Syracuse University will stand by the principles of free speech, he said. And I agree with the chancellor here. Speech we don't like should still be allowed and even encouraged. But there are those who have correctly pointed out the hypocrisy at Syracuse, like how last year a professor described COVID as the Wuhan flu on a course syllabus and was placed on administrative leave for derogatory language. But the administration was wrong then. I have been writing about issues of free speech for 16 years, going back to my time as a columnist at Syracuse for the student newspaper, The Daily Orange. I called out the slippery slope towards censorship then when it involved a different chancellor of the school. For those who support free speech and oppose the rise of anti-speech activism, as I do, what's the goal? The best way to fight back against the rise of the censorious forces in our culture is to lead by example. Next time there's an incident like the Wuhan flu, we can point to Severod's statement about Jackson if his instincts lead him in a different direction. For now, though, more speech, not less. More with Tommy in a minute, but first, the Fourth Watch podcast is presented by The First TV. The First is a new network for free speech and big ideas featuring Bill O'Reilly, Dana Lash, Buck Sexton, and more. It's a forum for new thought, new approaches, and an enlightening voice for a new America that embraces the founding principles and ideals that formed the greatest country on the planet. The First is free. No subscriptions, no credit cards, no trials, no censorship. Watch The First TV on Pluto TV, Distro TV, Apple TV, The First TV app, and more. Go to thefirsttv.com to learn more. And now, back to Tommy Lahren. 
I think that you certainly have had a cultural cachet in, in again, I, I look at it in kind of both sides of it. You've kind of very famously feuded with people like Wale. And then there's someone like Charlemagne, who it seems like you've had a, a good, positive, yeah, I don't want to say friendship necessarily, but, but association, public association with, um, in, in a way that it seems like, look, I, I personally, I think Charlemagne's an incredible interview. I think he's this this really interesting cultural presence. He doesn't conform to the left necessarily, and he's certainly given very hard interviews to the left. And in that way, there's some not not, not about finding middle ground, but this acknowledgement that that when you you get out there and you kind of you know chop it up with someone like like Charlemagne, or you know that that there's there's a real you know, uniqueness to it. And that, and that actually has some real power to maybe change minds, but at least get point, different points of view out there. I think people also know from me that I am fearless in a lot of ways. I will sit down with Charlemagne. I will sit down with Bill Maher, with Chelsea Handler, with Trevor Noah, with the ladies of The View. I do these interviews and I put myself in these positions because I might get laughed at. I might get scrutinized. Um, you know, I might get a lot of hate from it. I certainly did from being on The Daily Show and other things that I've done. And I might not change anybody's minds, but at least those people respect me enough to know that I'm willing to put myself out there. I don't just go into friendly territory to have people shake my hand and kiss my ass. I want to be in those positions where I have somebody discussing very real issues with me from an opposite perspective. But I will tell you this. I also have had great conversations with these people and I refuse to ever, if they've treated me well as a human being, I refuse to ever go out there and say that they're nasty or mean or horrible people. Um, some of them have done that to me, knowing better. I won't do that just for the clicks. I won't do that just so that I can play for my team. If I go on The View, which I did, and I have a decent conversation with Joy Behar and afterwards she's decently nice to me, I have no problem admitting that. Right. Because I'm about people over politics and the way you treat people matters. Yeah. And it's, it's funny in this certain, in our culture right now in 2021, I would say that, and I even looked at, you know, looked into this when you, when you had that public, you know, meeting with like Charlemagne, I, I would say he got a lot more pushback from, you know, quote, his own side than maybe you did, you know, from, from the right. Like there, there's a sense even then, and, and particularly now, and, and I know you wrote a book, Never Play Dead, a lot of free speech in there is, issues as well. But I think that we've reached this point now where it's like there, there are forces on the left that are really kind of cracking down on this idea of let's have a conversation. Let's be able to have like a civil discussion and be okay. And, and it, there's more than politics. I, I wonder if you, if there's, if you've seen a shift, even in just the time that you've been, you know, kind of had a public presence about who allows for those kinds of conversations to happen. They don't want us to be real people. And when I say they, I mean the left the progressives, the Democrats, those that control media and Hollywood and entertainment and sports, they don't want conservatives to seem like real people. They want to put us into a box. They want to say that we're hateful, intolerant, rigid, rigid, stiff, boring, whatever it is. They want to keep us in that box. And so when you jump out of that box, like I've done several times, that makes them very, very uncomfortable. I'll give you an example. You mentioned Charlemagne. I had great conversations with Charlemagne, but he had made a comment about me at one time saying, hey, listen, if you hate her, go out and do what she's doing. And he got absolutely eviscerated to the point where I'm still getting Google alerts about him having to apologize for saying that. Same thing with Trevor Noah. 
I write about it in my book. I had great conversations with Trevor Noah off camera. I spent time with Trevor Noah off camera at his request, which now when it's discussed, he has to walk back and say, oh, no, you know, it was my my producer wanted to meet and we were just talking about this. No, you weren't, buddy. You wanted to meet up with me because you wanted to hang out with me because you thought I was a cool chick. But you can never admit that because you're playing for a team, whereas I don't play for a team. Have you have there been instances where um, I don't know where you've been pleasantly surprised by by people who have actually stood their ground and in the face of pushback where they've had good interactions with you have kind of stood firm? There are not many. I will say when after I did the Daily Show at Trevor Noah and people were threatening my life, he came out and said, don't threaten her life. Hey, appreciate it, Trevor. <laughs> um, he was initially right off the bat was was kind and was telling his followers, hey, don't treat her like this. In fact, he, he's even done a couple of, I think, what it was post-show interviews when people asked him about me being on. And he said some decent things about me. And so I appreciated that. Uh, and unfortunately, once the media really comes after him, he's had to walk that back. But another instance is, is Chelsea Handler. I, I grew up being a really big fan of Chelsea Handler. And when I got to do my onstage, I guess it was conversation slash debate at Politicon with her, we went at it. We talked about difficult things. But I'll tell you before and after she came up and gave me a hug. She was kind to me. She appreciated and respected me. And those things to me go a long way in, in real people. And I'll also say this. There are a lot of conservatives who supposedly, quote unquote, play for the same team as I do, who have been very rude to me, very cold, aggressive and fake. And that's my own side. I've actually had more conservatives be rude to me than I've had liberals. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's this sort of, you know, same side policing that happens. Well, it's a good transition, I think, to the view, because uh, I, I, that was you're at the blaze at this time. And I, I know you, you made your way over to the blaze um, after OAN um, and uh, you're on the view in this very public, you know, it, it became this this big public situation. You've had made a comment um, about abortion, limited government, what women do with their bodies. Um, and it became this thing, I would imagine, much more on the right than on the left within within the media. Um, and, uh, I, I, if it's anything like my experience, you probably can't too much, talk too much about the specifics of leaving the blaze, but I'm, I'm curious what that media moment was for you in your career when that happened. Well, I'm actually uh, pretty transparent about what happened and I write about it a lot in my book, but I mean, it's very simple. I made those comments saying that I am personally pro-choice because I believe in limited government, though I'm obviously Christian and I'm not somebody who is an advocate for abortion. I do believe in limited government. And I do believe that that type of decision and that type of guidance should come from faith, family, community, and not from the almighty government. That's just my stance on it. It has long been my stance on it. It was my stance on it several times at the blaze. It was my stance on it when I did a, a profile piece for the New York Times. Um, this was not a shock to anybody that was paying attention. But yeah, I mean, I said those words. And then I came back to what I thought was work on Monday, and they told me not to come back. And then the lawsuit ensued. And that's where it got really nasty and really ugly. And I had to dig my heels in and I had to fight back something that they were not expecting me to do. But what's right is right. And what's wrong is wrong. And you don't have to agree with me. But you're not going to fire me and suspend me from my show for speaking a political opinion when I'm a political commentator. I'm sorry, I know my rights and I might not be a lawyer, but I knew I had a case 
and we settled. So clearly I did. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, so you leave, uh, you leave the blaze and you head over uh, after a couple other different stops, but, but now you're at Fox at Fox nation. You've got a um, show there. You're on Fox news. What feels like all the time. Uh, how has that been? How has it been going to talk about, you know, going to get liking to go involved in these startups. Now you're at this, at this place that is, you know, not just, a behemoth in conservative media, but really is is the largest, I would say, most consumed media outlet in America. Um, and and you know what has that transition been like? How has it been being at a place like that? Well, Fox News, obviously, for anybody in conservative media, is the pinnacle. That's what we all dream of. That's where we all want to be. That's always where I wanted to end up eventually. But I will say, even though I am at Fox, they're well-established. I mean, on their 25th year now, very well-established. Everybody knows Fox News. Everybody in conservative media, everybody in the world really has some idea of what Fox News is. But in joining Fox News, I always had a promise and a vision to myself was that I'm going to be authentically me. No matter who I work for, I'm going to be me. And I'm going to do things a little bit differently. And I'm going to maintain the integrity of my beliefs and my style and I really have been able to do that. That's also part of the reason I never lived in New York. Uh, I was in Los Angeles for three years. Now I'm here in Nashville. I've always wanted to be a little bit different and bring a little bit different of a perspective to something that's been around and has been time-tested and true that is Fox News. But I've always wanted to add my little flair to it. I still do final thoughts. I'm still me. I still tweet things that get me in trouble from time to time. <laughs> I have had to, you know, walk a little bit different of a line being that I am a representative of this great network that is so prestigious in conservative media, but I still like to think that I keep a lot of me in everything that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it is, you mentioned 25 years that Fox News uh, will be, uh, I guess it is this, this week. And you know, the, Fox, just like everyone in media, has had to evolve. Um, talking about final thoughts, being on on Fox Nation, you know, a streaming platform that that can reach new people in new ways. Um, where do you where do you see Fox as a whole evolving now, twenty five years in? I think that Fox and, and those that run Fox and those that watch Fox, listen to Fox. I think we all know that. We want to cater to our core audience and our base, but we also need to reach out and we need to be bridging some gaps. And I think that's exactly what we're doing with the streaming platform. Of course, Fox Nation. I was the first one in the door at Fox Nation. So even though I was at Fox, Fox Nation was something that I, I do believe I really helped build and that digital presence. And now there, you know, there's other entities that are coming up at Fox and new things happening to reach new people. And I do believe that the heartland of this country is the Fox News viewer. I happen to know the heartland of this country very, very well. So I think it's also getting to those younger people, those younger people that are listening to podcasts, those younger people that are watching shortened clips that might not sit at home at night and watch an hour-long cable news program, but appreciate consuming conservative media and ideas in different formats. And that's what we're doing. And there's so much more to come. Yeah. Well, one thing that feels like it's this elephant in the room kind of lurking is the idea of whether Donald Trump runs again. Um, and I was talking to a reporter, uh, I think it was last week, about kind of the future of Fox and the future of media. And I, I kind of said that I, I think that places 
if, if we're just talking about like financial from a business perspective, places like CNN and MSNBC are, are much more hoping that Trump runs again than a place like Fox, just from a purely like, what can we do with content here? Um, and, and I wonder, as you, you know, you've been a, been a very vocal Trump supporter, but I wonder if you think Trump running again, or even the idea of thinking about running again, you know, running to run again, uh, do you see that as this sort of anchor for conservative media? Is it a rocket ship for conservative media? Does it really have no effect? Where, where do you see that as a factor in what happens in the next year, two years, three years? I think we are about eight and a half, almost nine months into this administration and the disaster that it has been for our nation, no matter who runs in 2024 on the Republican side, whether it is Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or maybe somebody else, maybe a new face, I don't think conservative media needs to worry because there's going to be plenty of content. There's plenty of content now. There's plenty to talk about now with this disaster of an administration. Personally, uh, politically, I would hope that someone like Ron DeSantis, I would hope that Donald Trump acts more as like a kingmaker for our party. I hope that he uses his golden power to endorse and to really lead the conversation. But I do think that someone like a Ron DeSantis would be fantastic. He doesn't come with some of the baggage that Donald Trump has. That A lot of it was unfairly placed on him, of course, the demonization that has been placed on him. But I do think he needs to be very active in our party and in our movement. He is the movement. But I think him stepping back and acting as kingmaker and really elevating someone like a Ron DeSantis into the White House would be the best move for the conservative cause and the America first movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about someone who, uh, <laughs> knows how to, knows how to work on Twitter and get himself in trouble occasionally with Twitter. Although of course now he no longer can, which is really unfortunate for just like anyone who's on Twitter that, uh, that he no longer has a presence there. Cause he was just honestly like one of the best people to have a Twitter account. I feel like love him or hate him coming up the fourth watch lightning round. But first, how does Tommy deal with all those social media trolls and what's next for her future? You've got a huge social media presence, tons of comments. You get lots of love. You get lots of hate. Do, do you read the comments? Do you take things personally? Or, or is it really, or do you feel like you've developed this shield that, you know, it's just social media. It's just kind of people that are anonymously throwing things around. I've had to learn in this business because I started so young to have thick skin, but not just thick skin. I call it rhino thick skin. And I have that. When people say they don't care what people think, most of the time they're bluffing. I really don't care what people think. And when I say people, I mean the the average troll on Twitter, people that are saying nasty things, making mean comments. I really don't care. Um, they're not going to agree with me. They're not going to like me. I know if I look at my Twitter mentions, I know they're going to be evil. I know if I look at half of my Instagram comments, half of them are going to be evil. I don't let it get to me because I can't. Of course, there are times when someone will say something that hurts, especially when it's about your appearance. It hurts. I learned to get over it very quickly. I've been blessed to have a lot of followers and a lot of love, but I've been humbled by the number of people that tell me I'm stupid and ugly and this and that. It's really a balance. And that's how I've been able to really be grounded in what I'm doing is because I can have 20 people tell me I'm wonderful and I'm gorgeous and I'm so smart. And then another 20 that tell me I'm the worst human being on the planet. So it balances out for me. I'll tell you what really does bother me though. 
What really does bother me, and I, I hinted at this earlier, is conservatives who are supposedly conservatives who might align with me on all of my beliefs and and have supposedly the same mission as me, who go after me, say disgusting things about me to start a public feud or to get attention, a game I will not play. I used to play it a little bit, and then I realized it serves me nothing to do that. I stay out of the mud. I don't wrestle with conservatives. They can say whatever they want. They can try to yank my conservative card because I'm willing to sit down with someone like Caitlyn Jenner. I'm going to keep my head down and my eyes up, and I'm going to do what I need to do. I don't play with those people. Yeah, it's it, it's it is this weird time where you mentioned. I mean, I wonder how much of this would be happening if social media didn't exist, where th- where feuds, where you know, back and forths could be public, where where it could be like it could feel like this. Okay, you know, if I if I engage this way, it will be you know good for your clout. You know, it, 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 people can see it happen, and it can it can become a thing that people write about. If it was just happening like over email, I feel like n- this wouldn't be happening nearly as much. No. And unfortunately, because of the rise of conservative media, which I believe is great, there are so many great voices in this this space. There are so many personalities and talents in this space, which I think is wonderful. We didn't really have that before. Uh, We had, of course, your legacy media. You had, of course, your Rush Limbaugh's and, and your others that were out there blazing trails. But as far as a young conservative media and new media, that really wasn't much in existence before before me and I'm, again i've been doing this for seven eight years so not that long but there really wasn't that presence because we didn't have you know the rise of social media like we certainly have now but the unfortunate part of that is that some have realized that they can make a lot of money and they can get a lot of fame by saying and doing certain things now it's one thing if you get fame and money by doing things that you truly believe in and being passionate about something and that's going to garner a response. I'm all for that. It's what I do for a living. It's a totally other thing, though, if you do what you do and you say what you say for fame and money. Unfortunately, I do believe that that has manifested itself into this new conservative media space. And it's something that I try not to pay too much attention to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting landscape right now. I think on both sides of the aisle, but, but certainly on, on the right, there's, there's these different factions and, and yeah, when you introduce social media, it changes, it changes things a lot. Uh, let me, let me ask you, uh, before we get to kind of the, the lightning round here, uh, you mentioned fiance, you just got engaged. Congratulations. Uh, what, what do you think, you know, personally, professionally, what's the next five, 10 years, uh, look like for you? Where do you want to be going with it? Well, there are things in the works right now um, in my, my current career and in things that will be happening and, and changing, uh, all great things and expansions that will be happening both at the network and, and with me personally. So I can't really speak to them too much now, but I like where things are going. I think it's going to be great. And what I will tell you is this, is I want to continue to grow and expand, but I also believe that there is such an opportunity for more conservative or libertarian or independent-minded people to get themselves even more into political entertainment, to culture, to sports, to things that conservative-minded people also enjoy. Uh, I'm a conservative. I watch Bravo. I love fashion. I love makeup. I love lifestyle. I love health and fitness. I think that there's a big opportunity to expand into that space 
and to show people, and especially to show young people, that you can believe in freedom and limited government and America first, but you can also watch The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and talk about those things too. And it doesn't take anything away from you being a serious-minded conservative. I'm looking forward to blazing that trail. Yeah, there's so many people I think out in the country who who don't anchor their lives in politics, but uh, but also don't share a singular point of view from the left, and so it's it's it, there's a lot of room to go there. I think. Um, okay, last thing: six questions, sixty seconds. Where were you born? Rapid City, South Dakota, uh, better known as the place where Mount Rushmore is. All right, there you go. You're a Fox Nation host. What's one benefit and one cost of that role? The benefit is I get to talk to some great people and I get to see some amazing things. I've been to the border six times and that has been really the highlight of my career. If I had to pick something out, um, I, I wouldn't say that there's really a negative. Obviously we're a new platform. We're behind a paywall. There comes challenges with that, but nothing that we're not tackling. Who's someone who's been a mentor for you? The easy answer is my parents. Quite honestly, I, I look at my parents and I look at people that I, where I come from. And those are the people that inspire me and really do mentor me in a way. Of course, there are people in the industry I look up to, you know, Rush Limbaugh is, of course, a cliche and easy answer, but somebody who was really fearless and, and blazed a trail in fearlessness. But I draw a lot of inspiration from those in law enforcement, those in ranching and farming, those that are working in, you know, coal mines, the average everyday American, I draw a lot of my inspiration from, and that's who I always hope to speak for. Nice. Who's one person that you really like professionally or personally that may surprise people? I think I've already kind of hinted at it. Yeah, we talked about a few, yeah. Yeah, there's there's quite a few. Uh, I, Boy, I would say this. I am in awe of Andy Cohen and what he's been able to build at Bravo. Not just because I'm a Bravo viewer. I don't agree with anything he believes in politically. I mean, I would doubt it. I watch him every night and there's a lot of things that bother me with stuff that he says and advocates for. But what he has been able to build at Bravo is amazing to me. And I am very impressed. Have you been on Watch What Happens Live? I mean, can we make this happen? Unfortunately, I have not. They have talked about me on Watch What Happens Live because Andy Cohen is friends with Megan McCain and she has some not so kind things to say about me. Oh, really? But no, I haven't oh, I been that. able to make my appearance on Watch What Happens Live. I think I'm probably a little bit too conservative and steadfast in my conservatism for the folks over there, but maybe oh, one day. Come on, Andy. All right. Uh, who is one person in the media you think is really interesting or talented that isn't getting enough attention? Hmm. Well, I think media folks get a lot of attention who I would say, I guess I would turn that more politically. And I would tell you that I think right now I'm very, someone I'm very impressed by politically right now, who I didn't think I would be is uh, Kirsten Cinema in Arizona. She's yeah. been doing some amazing things. Keep your eye on her. She has a D behind her name, but she fights for freedom a lot harder than some of these people with R's behind their names. And I won't mention their names, but I will say it <laughs> wrong. <laughs> All right. Last thing. One year from today, what is one prediction for the media? I think that just as they did in 2016, coming up in 2022, they are going to have to recognize the forgotten Americans, the Trumpers the conservatives in flyover states. They had to recognize them after 2016, after we won that election. They think now that because they won in 2020, that they could forget about us again. 
but we're making a resurgence. And I do believe that liberal media is going to have to take note. Tommy, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Tommy Laren. I'd say to go follow her on social media, but I'm sure you already do. Remember, Fourth Watch is not just a podcast, it's also a newsletter. Subscribe for free at fourthwatch.media. Join me. Let's build a better media together. If you like the music in this show as I do, check out the artist who created it, Super Duper. That's Super Duper Music on Instagram. The song is Far From Falling. Download it wherever you get your music. Next episode, we are joined by my former boss and Mediate founder, Dan Abrams. Back soon. Stay safe. Talk to you then.